any designer, if you're in-house, if you're in an agency, whatever you do, how do you practice design in a way that it focuses on the economic value that you're capable of generating for a business? Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I'm your host, Annette Grant. And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you are struggling to scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. And let's get on with the show. On today's episode of Honesty Commerce, we talked to Nick DeSabato of Draft Revise about conversion rate optimization. Hey, everybody, this is Chase Clymer and Annette Grant from Honest E-Commerce coming to you today with yet another Chicagoan. Uh, today, we've got Nick DeSabato from Draft Revise talking about his new book, Planning CRO and Execution Through 2019. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. Yeah, you've got a lot of value to share. And I will tell you that I've been a fan of yours for way longer than you've known about me. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, no. So uh, so quick backstory on me. You probably don't know this. I was in a band forever, like eight years. I was in a band. I toured the country. It was fun. And oh. uh, doing that did not pay the bills. So I started... Really? I was, yeah, I was marketing uh, is what I was doing. And I was kind of doing everything for money uh, as you would when you live in a van and you need to pay rent. So um, I, I've been a fan of Draft Revised forever uh, and productized consulting uh, kind of through Brian Castle and, and following what you've been doing. So oh, I've, been, yeah. I've been a fan of you forever. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And then nowadays I'm running a Shopify consultancy. It's fun. It's basically a direct through line from being in a band. Like, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. There's a lot of parallels in uh, being in a band and being an entrepreneur. It's, there's a lot of faith. There's a lot of going, going for it and that DIY attitude. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Like a little bit of loneliness too. Like sometimes you just need other people to be around and like support you through all of that. Like the social support group you get. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, cool. I, still, I still love music. Uh, my roommate is in a pretty big band and I actually hit the road with them randomly enough. So I love the freedom that my agency gives me and I can go out there and relive the glory days. Yeah. As, as Scratch I, the itch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, actually, awesome. he's playing Chicago soon. So you'll have okay. to come. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my <laughs> band is actually, my old band is playing a show in Chicago in like three weeks and I have to relearn all the songs. Amazing. Well, you're going to we're gonna have to get a beer sometime. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Awesome. So... You wrote a book. Tell me about your book. I so I wrote a book. Uh, it is called Value-Based Design. Uh, some of you listening to this podcast might know thing, uh, in consulting about like value-based pricing or value-based work, whatever have you. Um, and my book applies kind of some of those principles to answer the question of how a designer can prove their worth in any organization. Um, so it's not necessarily specific to e-commerce. It's for any designer, if you're in-house, if you're in an agency, whatever you do, how do you practice design in a way that it focuses on the economic value that you're capable of generating for a business? Because I don't, I kind of outright reject the idea that design is this kind of squishy qualitative thing that people seem to believe and make a case at the beginning of the book for um, design directly serving business and uh, us having the ability to measure and experiment with design decisions in order to improve a business's metrics. So I lay out how to do that for a designer. I lay out 
why that's important and how you can work with other departments throughout an organization to get them on board with whatever design decisions you happen to be making. So, what's the Nick? What was the inspiration for the book? Just the questions that you get, you know, battered with constantly, or just yeah. you wanted to share? There are like five main questions I feel that everybody in design just hand rings about all the time. And like the real big one is should designers code? I'm not going to answer that question on this podcast. Um, Another one is how do I prove my worth in an organization? And people Mm -hmm. ask me this all the time because I seem to be doing it a lot. Like I run a consultancy called Draft and it's pretty successful. And in a lot of ways, value-based design is just a dramatic reading of my job description over 150 pages. Like, (laughs) I don't feel like what I do is crazy or weird. I feel like what I do is normal and like how design should be. And then I tell it to other designers and they think I have six heads. And I would like them to not believe that. I would like what I do to be more normal throughout the industry. And I don't see any reason why it can't be. So Nice. So uh, what, are, what are some of those five questions that you're always getting asked? Should designers code? Does user experience really focus on the user? How do I prove my worth in an organization? Design how it looks or how it works. That's another big one. And usually it's like, do designers need to prototype? Like that's another big one. Do they just need to make comps or do they make, need to make like a functional prototype? And do you feel those like... Are the big- do you feel like the book is just for designers or is it also focused for people that hire designers or have designers I on their team? I think that if you hire designers, you should read this book. I think that if you are a developer, you might read this book and get some interesting things out of it and scratch your head a little bit. But like, other than that, it's probably for people who are working with designers directly, hiring them, uh, sourcing that talent. Because if you read this book, it should give you a sense of what to look for in a designer, like what kind of skills would be helpful in your job search. It's not just knowing, you know, graphical principles or layout and behavior like I do. I come from user experience design background. It's uh, more having a, a sense of how the design actually has business ramifications. And so if you are able to talk with marketing and sales effectively, if you are able to dive into analytics and look at the like quantitative impact of your work. If you're able to focus more on research, and by research, I mean both talking to customers, talking to users, and going into analytics, going into heat maps, doing more quantitative, passive types of research that a lot of people that might be more of a data science background. If you are a designer who understands data and experimentation, then you are already pretty much all the way there to running a value-based design practice, even though you may not necessarily call it that. To answer your question directly about who could benefit from this, if you're hiring design talent, you would then know how to train people up because you would have, okay, well, maybe they have some background in research. Designers most frequently do. How do you expand that to reflect other parts of your design practice? Like, how do you take the research, synthesize it into interesting design decisions that could potentially move the needle for the business, And then how do you roll them out in a way that allows you to measure the impact and see if your hunch was correct? How do you critique them effectively with a sense of the business's metrics in mind, understand whether or not it would actually be helpful for the business? It's like moving one direction, like one step further in the right direction to making sure that designers are actually focusing on on the the consequences of their actions, right? It's not just, I made a comp and then I handed it off to the developer. Woohoo, that's great. 
there's something more to it, right? There's something, there are consequences to what you do when you roll it out. And designers are often insulated from that if they like launch a redesign and conversions drop. The honest doesn't really fall on the designer and I don't understand why. <laughs> I feel like it should. And that's a, a scary type of responsibility to be having that I think it's very important. Yeah, I feel like your book actually would be super impactful for e-commerce business owners. You're going to be usually throughout the year, many times talking to designers or making choices that are going to impact the user experience on your website. And knowing how to properly approach design in an e-commerce environment, and i.e. like the, the actions and the choices you make with the look and feel of your website directly correlate to the money that is being brought in from sales. Like a lot of people don't get that. They they yeah. think you can just switch stuff up willy-nilly and nothing, you know, nothing's gonna happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like that's something that I have to set up very early on with my client engagement. So I have a welcome packet that I send along to all of my prospective clients. And um, it basically says, you know, thank you so much for considering this. Here's all the dumb logistics. But also I'm a CRO guy, but I'm not really like a marketing person. I'm a designer. And so I believe that the things that I'm doing to actually increase revenue on your store are in many ways design decisions. And that can involve improving the user experience of your cart. Pretty classic CRO thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, it can involve improving the performance of the site, like reducing page load time and fixing a lot of bugs in your JavaScript. Like sometimes I'm just staring into the matrix. Um, it can involve uh, reworking the layout and, and behavior of your product pages. That's a very frequent thing that I do. And that's a UX thing, right? Like I'm prototyping and then sending along a comp to people. And you as a client and as a store owner have to come to expect that from me, right? It's you, I'm going to be sending you a comp and then I'm going to ask us to get on a call and critique that comp. And... People are surprised by that, I feel. They might already have a design resource on staff. They might be more focused on illustration. A lot of store owners believe that design is still visual sheen and not necessarily the type of underlying functionality that I focus on. And so the consequence of this is that I have to like redefine what they think design might be or what they have come to believe design is in their store, their, their team. That doesn't, you know, I don't think it ends with the welcome packet. I do think that's something that has to happen as you keep going on with the engagement. But this is something that a lot of software companies practice, especially like online SaaS type businesses. Mm -hmm. When they think about design, they think about it in the way that I think about design. Or when larger corporations think about design, that's, it is not different from what I'm talking about. But I'm usually working with Stores like they might be Shopify Plus, but they're a team of like 30 tops, and there might be three or four people actually focused on improving the actual store experience. The rest are in the warehouse, manufacturing. There's a weird disconnect between the actual, like, I'm making the products and selling the products, and then there's not enough resources put in to the actual practice of the store, and they don't treat it like, like a typical tech company would treat itself. Yeah, I read a lot of the things that you're saying here funny enough, come up in like uh, the lean startup, that mentality of testing and making data-driven design decisions are actually found in that book, oddly enough, and it has nothing to do with design. That type of approach to design is the correct approach, especially uh, in the environment we're in, e-commerce, you know, Shopify, Magento, all those things have metrics and analytics that are so easily testable and you can see the impact that happens. Uh, granted, if you have the, the traffic to to give you those insights. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, I don't think that anybody listening to this podcast thinks that they have enough resources on their store, right? I don't think they have enough people working on it. Um, if you do, that would be surprising because uh, I've never actually encountered that. So if that's the case, you have to make the most of it. And if you're going to do that, honestly, Lean Startup is a good methodology to be, to be pursuing. There's another book by Kenneth Bowles and James Box called Undercover User Experience Design. And it's on the face, it's about how to do UX design when you don't have any administrative support or resources within the organization, how you can do it on the sly. But really, like all of it is for $0 and in your spare time. Okay, you can fit that into your process. You can hire me and then I have a process and I'll tell you about it. But more, more likely than not, you're probably not going to work with me and I'm you need to figure out a way to do this because you're probably leaking revenue on your store and not knowing how or why. Um, or that's going to happen at some point and you're going to want to have a process in place to actually put it into action. And um, I think that understanding... Treating your online store like it's a tech company. Because Shopify does, right? Mm -hmm. Like They're a tech company. <laughs> Magento does. You need to treat yours like it is too. And that will allow you to create a process that is more legible to the people that work with you and results in better product as in the actual stuff that's being put on your store, like the actual web pages and user experience of it. That will be shipped more frequently and at better quality. And you probably want that. I think everybody wants that, but they don't know how to get to that. I think there's a little bit of education on our part as consultants to explain that type of mentality and how they should be approaching their store and their design. And and I think most e-commerce owners, like business owners, they're entrepreneurs and, and they they had a really cool idea, they had a really cool product, and they 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 worked out that product market fit. They aren't thinking about the data that's available to them on their online store and how that can like translate to lost dollars. Yeah, yeah. They they don't even know that it's there, much less that they can analyze it, much less how to analyze it, much less how to take action on it. And so if you were to read my book, Dear Store Owner, or subscribe to my mailing list or whatever have you, um, I basically spend my entire job trying to lay out how to do that process and how to gain a greater understanding of how your customers operate. Because I don't think customer service is the only channel you want to be using to understand how your customers operate and think and how they make purchasing decisions and what trips them up from UX capacity when they're going onto the store. And I don't think a whole lot of stores... They might say they understand their customers, but then I come in with a bunch of stuff that surprises them. And I'm like, Okay, now do you understand your customers? Like, oh, wait a minute. This has been shifting and we didn't know. Okay, great. What do we do about it? No, like this is a very common conversation for me to be having with people. I think that the more that you can do that, um, the more likely it is that you're going to find success being online and having a store rather than running a brick and mortar or whatever else operation you are going on Amazon, giving up on life. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you've been doing this quite a while CRO, value based design. Yeah. What are some commonalities you see? in the stores that you're working with, or maybe not even the stores that you're just working with, just out there, like where people are making mistakes that you know, you're know you constantly finding again and again? 
Yeah, I mean the the not researching your customers thing is probably the biggest fundamental one. But like over and over again, I see mobile lagging desktop by roughly two thirds, and that sucks. So a lot of my job is spent like improving the mobile experience. Most Shopify themes out of the box are not mobile first. Most dev shops are not actually structured to be mobile first, which is deeply unfortunate in the year of our Lord 2018. I spend a lot of time trying to convince people that, hey, 88% of your traffic is on mobile and they're converting at 1.8. That's bad. And so at a very high level, that kind of sucks. I see a lot of problems with internationalization, not only in terms of languages or currencies, but also in terms of um, payment providers. So a lot... they'll, They'll end up putting all of their ad spend into like a broader international bucket for whatever reason. And then people will come in from Brazil that will expect a specific payment method that just doesn't exist. And it's not MasterCard or Visa. I'll see that happen pretty frequently. So it, you know, the symptom could be that you didn't support that payment method. The cause would be also that you drove a lot of traffic in from Brazil. Maybe you should get a better lock on your ad spend and figure out where your traffic is coming from and how you're promoting yourself. Another thing that I see is a lack of QAing on email. Um, and I know that sounds weird and sort of unrelated to CRO, but you know that cart abandonment emails increase conversion rate. And so if I'm here to increase conversion rate, I need to make sure your emails are actually firing. Having opt-in boxes on cart abandonment, in-stock notifications, and your general orders. Um, usually you get one or two, not all three. Uh, so that is pretty common. Uh, signing or buying a product with a dummy credit card going through the actual checkout flow and vetting bugs on it. No store owner actually does this. I would, I'm sure someone out there is like, actually, Nick D, you're wrong. I do it. That's great. You are very special. No store owners actually do this. <laughs> I think those are the biggest ones that I see is just people don't actually QA their own stores. They're too busy shipping products. I get it. That's totally fine. That's why I come in and QA your store for you. And then tell you all of these horrifying things and we go and fix them. So yeah, I think that's, that's it for an init- initial list. Yeah, I think that everyone... We talked about this last time with Kurt Elster, actually. It was just like, everyone, you know, have your mom, your, your brother, your sibling run through your store, not only on their desktop computer, but on their, on their cell phone too. Give them your credit card and just shut up and watch and you'll see the nightmares they unleash. <laughs> Usertesting.com. That is your website. I'm not being paid by usertesting.com to do this, but they are a startup that recruits and executes uh, usability tests for you. And you can literally put together a series of questions that say, check out with a dummy credit card or my credit card or anything. And they will go through and do it. And within three hours, I think it costs $250 for five participants. So it's like $49 a video. You can set up these questions in probably about half an hour, sit back and wait, and then, you know, pour yourself a nice snifter of bourbon <laughs> and, and get your iPad out and a pad of paper and just take a very deep breath before you just watch people tear into your store. And they're strangers. They have no reason to be nice to you. No, that's an amazing resource for, for all of our so listeners. Yeah. Mm, yeah, you might um, want to do I, that on a Friday night so you have the whole weekend to to regroup. <laughs> yeah, like Saturday morning, you like, you know, pour yourself some Gyokuro and meditate and then just think <laughs> about what you're going to do with your life. Like that's that kind of situation. If, you, if you've never done it before, 
the first time will probably cause that to happen. And right? it, it's screen recordings? Nick? Yeah. Oh. Are they like, is there a company audio of them just trash talking? <laughs> oh, yes. No, it's a voiceover of them. Oh, they are on a headset. This and is... they are talking their inner monologue through when they're doing usability tests. And you can ask them anything. They have a lot of prompt questions. It's like SurveyMonkey. Like you can build a can wow. thing. Unimaginative or don't know where to start. And um, so one of them is uh, a five-second test where it literally flashes your homepage of the store on for five seconds and then disappears. It's like, what is this? Tell me everything. Type as much as you want. Talk as much as you want. Oh, and, yes. Uh, oh, <laughs> I... my God. There are, there are so many stores out there that their landing page view on either, even on desktop, you, you don't know what the hell they're selling. I had a client once that their masthead just said, we just changed your life. And it was like a photo of the product, but the text was over it. So you couldn't really see what it was. And I, all five of the usability test participants, like the name of the product was in the domain name and they still didn't know what the product was. And I was like, this is all you need to do is change it to we sell X, you (laughs) know, just please like beat you over the head X. Here it is. It'll help your SEO too. Like, come on. Yeah, I feel that goes back to just, you know, value based design. Like, while design is cool and you want to like have a unique website, don't break best practices to try to be cool because all you're going to do is confuse the hell out of your customers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as e-commerce grows more mature, interaction models become more and more familiar to customers. And depending on your demographic, of course, like I, I work with a company that sells to mostly like senior-aged women. And so they don't know what a hamburger menu is. So you have to make it very obvious. Mm-hmm. But that's the exception. Almost everybody who's listening to this podcast can probably like discuss some of the things that are most common to the layout and behavior of an online store. Like where to expect the add to cart button, where to expect the image gallery, where to expect the menu on mobile. And people know that. Like your customers know that. And so don't rock the boat too much. Don't do anything weird. Like (laughs) just making it weird. Just be normal. And by making it weird, you're also lighting your profits on fire. You're lot yeah, you sure are, aren't you? (laughs) Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler's network of on-demand, US-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. No hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler Specialist. Start your free seven-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash honest. My concern right now as a store owner is making sure I'm ready for... I mean, most of my shoppers are on mobile. How yeah. how is that changing the way that you work with customers or that when you were writing the book? How 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 quick do you think that that's changing and where everything will be focused on mobile? Because like you said, like Shopify, Magento, some of those platforms, mobile's still kind of secondary. When yeah. do you think it's going to shift over to well, where mobile will be primary concern in the design? And it, it, I think that skews so many things. 
I want to believe that mobile first will be adopted in two weeks, you know, but like <laughs> Luke, Luke Robluski wrote his book, Mobile First, that was considered fairly influential in, I think, 2011. We got the response of web oh, design essay man. in 2009. And I can't tell you how much I've been sword brandishing about mobile and people don't seem to understand that or they just accept it. They just assume that it's okay that mobile can be one-third desktop. You know who's not accepting one-third conversion rates on mobile? Amazon, Apple, Google. They're coming up with payment models that you can leverage better. So one of the, the only truly amazing developments that has happened for Shopify is that it's gotten GPay and Apple Pay natively integrated. Mm -hmm. And having that connected to your Stripe merchant accounts I've seen that not turned on on stores. And then I literally go in your admin, click a checkbox, close the tab and become a wizard. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're making way more money because people have iPhones and iPhones convert. Right. I want more developers. If you're a developer and you're listening to this, or you're a designer and you're listening to this, like the number one thing you can do is have uncomfortable conversations with store owners about how mobile should be the first comp that's designed. And everybody critiques stuff on desktop. They, you know, if you need to shrink your browser window real tiny, like please do it. Like whatever it takes to get that breakpoint triggered so that you can get a hamburger menu and a different interaction model. I don't know. Like at some point, desktop is going to dwindle to zero percent of your revenue, and that's probably going to happen within the next fifteen years. Um, for a lot of my clients, desktop or uh, mobile is something like eighty-eight to ninety, something like that. That's the highest I've seen. The lowest I've seen is sixty-eight or so, and like that's still you shouldn't be rocking the boat on it. So to answer your question about when, I mean, I hope soon. It should have been five years ago, to be entirely <laughs> frank. You should be thinking about mobile before you think about desktop. Even though it's sexier to think about desktop, and it's less cramped and annoying to think about mobile and it requires a different mindset. You need to start learning about that now. Yeah, you just blew some minds over here. Yeah, I'm, I'm silent because I've got thinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I just... I know that I get stuck on my laptop... And then I look at how many of my users are on mobile and I know the demographics of it. And I mean, I don't even know if a lot of them have a desktop or a laptop, honestly. Um, you know, they're, yeah. they're working off of their, uh, explicitly off of their mobile device. I know a lot of people that don't own personal computers now. Yeah, I think that's going away too. So as, as far, if a store owner comes to you and mobile isn't in that conversation, do you sway that conversation immediately or oh, yeah. how does that go? Okay. Yeah. So usually um, if we're in like the initial like prospecting phase, I'll often like very politely ask for access to your Google Analytics just so I can take a look at some numbers. And, and it usually helps me like estimate with pricing. And, and the justification I give as a CRO guys because I need to understand if you have enough traffic and enough sales to get statistically significant can, like A-B tests. So um, they're usually happy to do that. And they hand it to me. And then once you give me the keys to the Corolla, I can drive anywhere. So I go into your mobile tab and I'm like, Oh, hey, it looks like 88% of your traffic is mobile and it's converting at like less than one third of desktop. Have you noticed this? And they groan. Um, <laughs> but they've normalized the practice of ignoring it or focusing on desktop. And so then I have to be like, Well, would you like that to be 
10 or 20% higher or more because we can do some things here and hopefully fix that. They're like, oh, yes, my God. I'm like, okay, great. Well, the way you do this is by eating your vegetables and focusing on mobile. And a lot of people then it goes from, okay, we're going to start saying we focus on mobile and then not do it. To we're gonna do it in this like slapdash piecemeal way, and then it usually takes like a couple months of me just gently suggesting to other people that they need to be going mobile first because they don't have the processes in place, they don't have the mindset in place, and that sort of comes about either by piecemeal tactics or by me. If you know, in a perfect world, I sit everybody down and have an hour long meeting about why mobile is important and how to do it. And that's the biggest like low-hanging fruit that I get as a CRO guy. I would love nothing more than to not have to have this conversation so that I can focus on, frankly, more interesting and weird topics. <laughs> like, <laughs> usually, I'll, I'll fix a lot of stuff on mobile for a store. And then there's the now what question. And then it gets really interesting. right? Like, and I, I would rather have that sort of situation happen earlier. That's a, you know, it's a new challenging thing. Once you... Once you've gotten all the like, all right, here's my checklist. I've I've fixed all these things. I've checked all these things. Now it's now you're getting to like, all right, how can I make this better? This is this is now it's like the wild west. Yeah. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to gain leverage over your other competitors because so many of them are messing this up. That should be enough to spur you to do it. What is the most unique? You know, not necessarily a split test, but the most unique decision you've made on a store that you've seen that impacted their bottom line. I had a client once who was selling like they sold like key organizers. I have a case study for them on Draft Site. Now they're called Key Smart, and they're great. They're wonderful people. Um, but they sold like eight Key Smarts at one point, and it's like a Swiss Army knife for your keychain. Like you flip out these keys, it's really nice. But they sold all these different products. And I'm like, well, okay, so what does the SKU breakdown look like on this? And I go into their GA and see that like their main flagship model is something like 78% of all the sales. I'm like, okay, so there's long tail here. Fine. Um, are they the most passionate customers? Well, kind of, but not really. What if we run an A-B test that changed the whole website to only show this one model of Keysmart? What, what if? What would this look like? And I did it. And the results were basically no drop in conversion rate, no drop in revenue. People kept buying just the normal version of the Keysmart. And I looked at, I, I took this and handed it to the CEO. I'm like, I know you might be wedded to these other products. <laughs> How much in manufacturing expenses would you reduce your entire operation by if you got rid of these seven models today? It's like, oh, like 40%. I'm like, okay. So if you, lose 40% in your expenses, what happens to your profit? Oh, it goes up by 40%. Oh, okay, great. I'm going to roll this test out to everybody. I'm going to make your life a lot easier. You're going to have one thing to produce. And then he did. And uh, so it wasn't even a test on revenue. It wasn't even a test on conversion rate. Conversion rate was fine. It was it. It was entirely on expenses. They kept chasing different versions of this thing that they just frankly didn't need to be doing. It might have resulted in a brief like sugar high on their mailing list where they get a few sales of the new thing from their most passionate fans. But who needs more than one key organizer? Fan mm-hmm. boards? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, that's... I love that whole concept there because it, it's like... It's outside the box. And that's why, you know, you're a consultant is like... Th- that wasn't a traditional avenue that you usually explore. It's... Well, you guys have... All these products are... 90% the same. Why do you have more than one? Yeah. 
No, and I think I think that also um, again because I hire consultants, freelancers, and that's that's also you can't just look at that from the a hiring perspective of you're getting their expertise at looking at you know hundreds, potentially thousands, tens of thousands of stores, and getting all of that information, all of that learning that they have versus you looking at your one store and your products yeah. every day. So that's that's I think one of those selling points that sometimes it gets. It gets difficult sometimes when you're trying to hire and justify pricing, and that's what you have to really think about. Is that, that solution is probably something that never ever crossed their minds in in hiring you for the the task at hand, and you just probably yeah. completely changed their business and their lives actually outside of work. Yeah, that guy got, went on a long vacation. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, he's like, wait, I can just like <laughs> drop ship this from anywhere and be on a boat. No, that's I love that story. That's great. Pretty much happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that like that's the, Chase had an excellent question, and I you even trumped him with the answer to oh, it. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. So, awesome. what are some uh, other pieces of advice that you'd have for you know that solopreneur churning out? Uh, working on that product market fit, they're you know they're usually ninety percent of everything done within their business is done by themselves. Like, what what are some pieces of advice that you have for them? Are you talking about for a store owner for another Shopify consultant? Because I have different answers. Store, yeah, I, I would say, say store specifically owner. store owner. Yeah. yeah, got it, got it. If you're a store owner and you and you're wearing a bunch of different hats, one of the things that you can do is a lot of like low involvement, like low resources type stuff. So running heat maps, um, if you go to hotjar.com, that's like the industry standard one. I believe their paid plan is $49 a month. You can probably afford that. If not, they have a trial. Congratulations. And um, it's literally you install some JavaScript on your theme and you, uh, what's it? You type in the URL of the heat map that you want and then you wait a week and that's it. And then you get a sense of where people are tapping or clicking and not tapping and clicking and where people are not scrolling and so on and so forth. That gives you a lot of different insights into how you can be improving the usability of your page. If you've hired out other developers as contractors or something like that, then you have a build queue for them and you can say, okay, well, do this, 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 and this. And it's usually heat maps are good for like cleaning up pages because it's like, well, people aren't caring about this, 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 and this. And while we're loading them, it's increasing page weight. So the more you basically decrease page weight, the better your conversion rate fares, you know, at least at the beginning. So figure that out. Install image compression plugins on your Shopify store. I can't believe I'm even just blindly recommending an app, but the one that I use is called CrushPix. It runs super well, and your images are the biggest page load issue on your store. Go on usertesting.com, uh, get a few user tests in place. Uh, note that I haven't even recommended you run an A-B test yet. If you're a solopreneur and you don't have enough traffic for your uh, store, you shouldn't be running A-B tests. You should be improving the experience on-site and getting enough traffic eventually to get statistically significant. So what, what number should they be shooting for? Yes. Uh, usually 500 per variation. So we're talking maybe maximum, like absolute minimum 1,000 orders per month, something like that. Um, I Personally, I only work with Shopify Plus stores. So like you know, keep that in mind in terms of the volumes that you might be thinking about. But that's also stores that would be able to hire a CRO and have somebody do that for them. So, but like, you know, everybody asks for the number. I just generally say like a thousand, you're in safe territory to do at least one round a month. Keep in mind that when you have active tests running, you cannot change the page at the time. So if you are also a like move fast and break things type person, 
A-B testing is more of a move slow and fix things type process. So that might not be for you from a like mindset standpoint. That would be a whole different podcast episode for me to talk about. But um, offer gift cards to customers and get on one phone call with them per month and then give them a like $100 gift card to your store for their time. That is a very good way to... And just ask them how they found out about you, if they ran into any issues with their purchase, if they had any questions about assembly, if they had any objections, what other competitors they looked at, why they went with you over those competitors. This is what's commonly called a jobs-to-be-done interview. And that's based off of the Clayton Christensen-like model that he came up with around innovation and disruption. If you Google jobs-to-be-done interview or JTBD interview, you will find very good scripts to go through on a phone. And everybody hates doing that. But I tell you, you will sit there, just transcribe the call and thank me later. You will come up with so much to change. It will be amazing. How many stores do you think really do that, honestly? Zero. Okay. I, and <laughs> I, I actually, interestingly enough, I gave that advice to a store owner on Friday and I had a look in the mirror today going, I've never done that, even though I've like recommended it. I think that's an excellent, like, especially a solopreneur, that, I mean, it's just, it's time and it could probably, you'd probably also create a lifetime customer in that person that you call on the phone. You know, yeah. and they'll they'll probably start you know just emailing you randomly like, hey, this doesn't work, or do this oh or do God, that. You know, they're almost like a free, free consultant for you and your store, a loyal yeah. customer. That I was taking rigorous notes during that uh, snapshot of all of those things that you had a, a solopreneur or just a smaller store owner to get up, you know, to get their revenue up to speed to to be able to hire out. But those are all excellent things that I'm going to have to start doing tomorrow yeah, or tonight. I mean, you should well, not like, do anything this week. Uh, for, <laughs> oh, no. it, for those of you that don't know, that uh, Black Friday is in, yeah. is in uh, four days. So, but Happy this Black is going to come out. season, everybody. Yeah, this is going to come out the third week of January. Yeah, but and when is Black Friday going to go away? That's another, that's for another episode. As a concept. You when do? Singles Day takes over. Well, and what now? Singles Day. It's the shopping day in China. It's Ooh. November 11th. Well, we're getting closer to it. It's, it's like over 1 trillion of sales in a day. Whoa. Like Google Singles Day someday. Singles and Day. I thought it was some dating Stereo- app was like going to take over. Yeah, like, Singles Day. I've never no, heard of it either. Okay. It's, it's the like anti-Valentine's Day, but then it became the huge gift-giving holiday. And it's because 11-11 look like individual people. Mm, one 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 one. Yeah. I know. The mind boggles. <laughs> like, <laughs> so cool. So you think there's going to be a big shift in marketing in the next couple of years to, and, and that's going to become an American thing? Uh, no, I was just joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everybody wants... I think people actually respond well to the like, uh, the like group think of having one big shopping holiday. And so I don't think it's going to go away. And I think it only mm-hmm. got magnified by the internet. Yes. Like Prime Day is another big one, right? Like, and, and what happened with Prime Day? Amazon came up with the idea of Prime Day and now it does like a bajillion dollars. Yeah, but that's only if you are selling through Prime Day. I don't know if anyone's successfully doing sales campaigns through their own store on Prime Day. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying they they like came up with the idea and it's only two years old. And the idea of a collectivist shopping holiday, like it can be anything, right? It can be Small Business Saturday. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, oh. the thing is, I, I like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, I like this month. I like working. So, you know, we had a lot of fun and a lot of conversations 
with our clients this month. So I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. My partner works for the food bank. So like giving Tuesday is her like, her like D day. Interesting. Yeah. It's next week. So yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up since you just crushed it at the end. Giving giving everyone a hefty to-do list. How will I top it? Uh, Well, let's, let's plug your book one more time. Let's tell everybody where to find you and um, where they'll be able to find the book. If you can let us know. So the book is called value-based design. If you go to value-based design, that's two D's in a row.org. Um, or you go to draft.nu slash value, you will be able to go and by the time this podcast comes out, uh, you'll be able to order the book and uh, hopefully it will be helpful for you, for the designers you hire, for the designer that you are, if you are one. Really, really grateful for the opportunity to be on this today. Thank you so much for having me. And you also have a free newsletter, correct? Oh yeah, you if you go to draftsletters.com or draft.nu slash letters. Those letters are going to be very focused on value-based design around the time that you uh, listen to this, if you listen to it right when it came out. Um, But they tend to run the gamut. Like one time I just talked about a sandwich I wrote once. One time I yelled about pasta sauce. It's fine. You you are a very creative writer when it comes to your newsletter. I I enjoy reading them. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, hopefully everyone's got a lot of uh, action items on their to-do list after this. Awesome. Thank you so much. Alrighty, take care. Thank you. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io slash connect. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice.